Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Good evening. By pressing play, you've unlocked a door with the key of imagination. Beyond is another dimension, a dimension of sound, a dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. Welcome to Agoraphobia, the Agora Podcast Network's spooktacular month of ghoulishly engaging content celebrating the spirit of the Halloween season. So turn on all the lights, check all the closets and cupboards, look under the beds, and continue, if you dare. Hello, boys and ghouls. It seems as if hell is empty and all the devils are here. Today we're joined by two more audio acolytes volunteering as tribute, offering themselves up upon the altar of agoraphobia. Our first tale comes from Sarah from the Rejects and Revolutionaries podcast and involves a prince and his perilous poodle. The year was 1643, and England was fighting what would become the bloodiest conflict in its history. Civil war had pitted supporters of King Charles I against those of his parliament. Or so it seemed. The reality was far more sinister. This was a battle between good and evil. And evil took the form of a small white poodle. The Battle of Edgehill was the first of the English Civil War, and there people noticed a series of oddities surrounding Prince Rupert, head of the king's army, and his dog named Boy. Realizing how dire the situation was, a Puritan known only as T.B. risked his life to learn the truth and he published his observations in a pamphlet a few months later. And now, I'm going to read you some excerpts from this pamphlet so that you can come to understand the evil that lurked in England lo those many years ago. Since the unfortunate death of Mr. Blake, I have, according to the direction of the two secretaries you named to me, had a strict eye upon Prince Rupert's dog called Boy, whom I cannot conclude to be a very downright devil, as is supposed, or a spirit sent to nourish division in church and state, 
though I must confess that the Irish papists are very familiar with him in private. But certainly he is some Lapland lady, who by nature was once a handsome white woman, and now, by art, is become a handsome white dog. In the first place, he can prophesy. I mean, not as our master Green, the haberdasher, doth doth prophesy, that is, to expound upon scripture by private spirit. But he prophesies of future events, and his master's footman, a Laplander, doth expound him. Among other things, he hath prophesied that the king shall enter London before May Day next, with three four thousand horse and foot, that the dog himself shall be courted, that heads more round than his shall bow to him, that he shall ride in a city pageant triumphantly overlooking the people, and be seated by a lawful lord major, and that the city, lastly, shall proffer him two tubs of custard stuff a week to bathe in. He hath the art of figuring out concealed goods, for since the king hath been resident in the university, he and the heads of the houses have discovered the plate that the Lord Say and Sir John Seton could not. He is endued with the gift of languages, which yet he hath the art to hide very well. For with a kind of generous confidence, he mounts the table in the cupboard under a pretense of courting his master, and by that cunning means hath his ear oftener than a barber hath, for the prince takes but little care of his head. Some, of great place and good account, who love to eavesdrop all informations, have sworn to me that they plainly distinguish the accents of the dog's language to sound like our Hebrew. Whereupon, I advised with some of the professors here, who in their hearts inclined to our side, who out of curiosity pressed near. But they told me that his whispers then seemed to them to be a mixed language somewhat between Hebrew and High Dutch, which, they say, if any, was most probably the language of the beasts before the curse. This quality of speech admits him into all company, whose relations he relates to his master, and his master again to the king, and thus all our spies are discovered. He is weapon-proof himself, and probably hath made his master so too. Myself and the rest whom you have employed to be of the conspiracy against him have always failed of our attempts, as if something more than witchcraft watched over him. Once I gave him a very hearty stroke with a confiding dagger, but it slided off his skin as if it had been armor of proof anointed over with quicksilver. That which they say of him, that he usually sets his mouth as a trap and catcheth bullets as they fly by, upon my credit is mere slander. But it is most certain that he doth things near as strange, 
Some bullets he blows by, and others he breaks the force of, so that they either no more touch him or the prince than if they were aimed at the edge of a penknife. Or if they do, they do the prince no more harm than if he had had his characters about him. He can go invisibly himself, and make others do so too. He hath often been where nobody has seen him, and done that which nobody else could. Who do you think conveyed O'Neill out of the tower? Boy, who conveyed the Lord Digby first into Hull, and afterwards out again? Boy, who got leg out of prison? Boy, who released Bamfield? Verily, boy, still. He mingles himself with the good apprentices. Sometimes he appears like Ezekiel, Mr. Bostock, the bookbinder's boy, and sometimes like Nathaniel, Mrs. Green's freeman. Under these disguises, he brings us false informations and carries them true. Upon my certain knowledge, he doth usually break a black cloud about Prince Rupert too, in which he goes as invisible as our church or our faith doth or as our charity should. And by this mystical means it was that the prince so often passed by our guards undiscovered. By this means he was the appleman at Dunsmore Heath, the net seller in Coventry, and the old woman in Warwick. By this means he is all things and he is nothing. And no doubt is often at our common council in London, marking out some of our citizens for death, and some of their wives for life, some of our aldermen for plunder, and some, perhaps, for sport. He salutes and kisseth the prince as close as any Christian woman would, and the prince salutes and kisseth him back as favorably as he would, I will not say an alderman's wife, but any court lady, and is as little offended with his breathing. Then they lie perpetually in one bed, sometimes the prince upon the dog, and sometimes the dog upon the prince. And what this may in time produce, none but the close committee can tell. In all exercises of religion, he carries himself most popishly and cathedrally. He observes our fasts no more than we do their feasts. He is never at any private prayers, and very seldom at any conscionable sermons. But as for public prayers, he seldom or never misseth them, and he no sooner enters the choir, but he presently trots upward toward the east end, where there is a painted window and an altar below, both of which, with the rails, make up one great idol. Then he is much taken with their cope and surplices, and singing books, and with the singing men, too. All men in general make much of him, and the truth is they dare do no otherwise. For if they do, they are sure to hear of it in one misfortune or another. Tis observed that most of the gentlemen that were killed at Edge Hill 
had injured the dog's reputation in some way or another, and forgot to give him satisfaction before they went to the battle. The Lord Taft did but speak angrily to him, and the same morning was shot in the mouth for it. The king himself neither dines nor sups, but continually he feeds him, and with what, think you? Even with the rumps and sidesmen of capons and such Christian-like morsels. And if this be not to profane, I know not what is. It is thought that the king will shortly call a council of war, and in imitation of our proceedings, will make him a new officer of state, Sergeant Major General Boy. Truly, truly, the king's affection is so extraordinary to him that some in this court envy him and others nourish fears and jealousies of him. I heard a gentleman usher swear the other day that it was a great shame that the dog should sit in the king's chair, as he always doth. Whenever the king's council is persuading his majesty to an accommodation and resolutely pressing him to return to his other council, the parliament, in comes this enemy to the peace and the parliament's purposes, and presently they speak of blood and war and the destruction of London and vow they have not the power to think of anything else. Now consider... If it be accounted witchcraft to make men impotent in their bodies, what is it to make them impotent at their minds? Is it not this dog that is no dog, but a witch, a sorceress, an enemy to parliament, a mere malignant cavalier dog that hath something of the devil in or about him? Sir, I desire you that I may be quit of all future employment in this nature, for it is impossible to destroy him until the colonies of New England come in to help us. They know how to order these dog witches better far than we. The English Civil War was the first English conflict in which freedom of the press existed, and this means that it's the first conflict in which propaganda played a role in a way that's familiar to us today. But T.B.'s pamphlet, which was a real pamphlet, wasn't propaganda. It was something else that's very modern. Trolling. Puritans had a reputation for being superstitious, and they did become the faction that was responsible for reviving English superstitions regarding witches. They were the ones who implemented witch trials both in England and in colonies in Bermuda and New England, and it was under Puritan rule that witchfinder general Matthew Hopkins made a name for himself. Things hadn't gotten quite that far in 1643, but the fears and tendencies were showing. And royalists found this hilarious. So much so that a handful of them sat down, I'm sure around a few pints of ale, and wrote this pamphlet, in which they pretended to be parliamentarians who had infiltrated royalist ranks and gathered all of this information. 
Prince Rupert was the strongest and most feared cavalier leader in England in 1643, and that was because he was easily one of the most experienced military officers in England. And I should tell you that Daniel O'Neill was the leader of the Irish Catholic rebels, and his escape from the Tower of London was a real and infamous event that they were attributing to this dog. The writers of the pamphlet made it patently ridiculous, with a constant stream of jabs at Parliament's superstitions and procedures and beliefs about the king, and even their beliefs about Catholicism and Anglicanism, any high church form of Christianity. But the problem was that they weren't speaking to a particularly educated population, and religious education in England in particular had been all but non-existent since Henry VIII's dissolution of the monasteries. And so, this joke went completely over the heads of a huge percent of the population. The pamphlet went the 17th century equivalent of viral, and it did so because people did believe it. Rupert and the dog became the most feared beings in the country, And in fact, the reaction was so extreme that it kind of backfired, because what was a joke mocking parliamentarian superstition became so widely believed that it effectively became a piece of propaganda for Parliament. Still funny, though. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Our second entry today comes from the dastardly duo behind the Czar Power podcast, Roberto and Brendan, sharing an original story called The Kikimora. Hello, comrades. Welcome to Czar Power. I'm Roberto, and this is an episode we're doing for Agoraphobia. So this time we will be reading a story called The Kikimora 
Written by me, Roberto, and edited by Brendan. We worked hard on this short story based off of Slavic folklore and brought in different iterations of the Kikimora into one aspect. The music is also by Brendan, so basically all of this is from our creation. Um, except for the intro and outro music, of course, that is always by other people. You can find us at Czar Power on any available podcast host, or if you want to follow our social media, it is Czar Power Pod. Alrighty, enjoy the show. Deep in the forest, surrounding the ancient lands of the Neva River, where the animals frolic under the blue and black skies, we see a small cottage, home to Kolya and Masha, as well as their mama and papa. The moon shone silently upon the home, and out from the shadows emerged a large set of glowing orange eyes. The light illuminated the small figure as it crept towards a tiny house, taking the shape of a young girl with horns protruding from her head, a chicken beak where her mouth should be, and a dress of grass and reeds. Her malevolent shadow darkened the doorway as she peered in through the keyhole, surveying the humble interior. With a breath, she became like smoke and poured through the keyhole like a slithering adder. Her glowing eyes scanned the room, and she sniffed the air. With small, tender steps, she searched for her next meal. Droplets of water rolled off of her hunched body with every move. Her frenetic eyes landed on a fresh loaf of rye bread, butter, and salt by the fireplace. She pounced upon it, cut herself a piece with butter and salt on top, and voraciously pecked at it. Just as she was savoring her first meal in days, a cockerel announced the coming of dawn. She glanced at the ray of sunlight advancing from the windows and, once again, became like smoke and dove towards the shadows in an unreachable spot behind the fireplace. Just as the last of her sobbing wet body receded to the shadows, the lady of the house entered and began preparing breakfast. Yawning, she stood across the room, but suddenly slipped and fell. Masha! she shouted at her sleeping daughter. Why were you playing out in the river last night? Masha gave a startled cry while her younger brother, the foolish Golia, slid out of the bed and dashed across the room as young children are wont to do, only to slip and fall himself. The girl behind the fireplace stifled a giggle, which sounded like a mouse squeaking to the ears of her human housemates. Golia's eyes darted towards the fireplace and caught a glimpse of the glowing orange eyes, which quickly disappeared. He stood up and joined his sister by the fireplace for a pre-breakfast snack of bread, butter, and salt. Their mother gave them the bowl of kasha with honey which they happily ate. The hidden girl licked her beak, desiring some for herself. As the lady departed, she became like smoke and snuck out from her hiding spot. Masha, unsuspecting, let out a staccato shriek while her brother simply sat stunned. The formless being returned to her chimeric shape and shushed him with one bony finger on her beak. She gave them a wicked grin as she joined them at the table, her slithering hands wrapping themselves around Kolya's bowl. Masha leaned forward, hesitancy in her voice. Who, who are you? What do you want? whispered Masha. Hello, I'm Kikimora, and I'm here to eat and play, snickered Kikimora. Kolya continued to look on, his whole body shaking in terror. She was beautiful, save for the horns and beak. He shuddered and watched as she took the bowl to her beak and devoured the whole thing in front of him. That was my breakfast, whined Kolya. Well, you need to share, 
I haven't eaten in days, snarled Kikimura. Masha stood up and let Kolya hide behind her. As the elder sister, she had a responsibility to protect them. She took one more bite from her bowl and handed the rest to him. Kolya eagerly ate the kasha, distracted for a moment by the delicious breakfast. The Kikimura leaned over the table and put two rough hands on their shoulders. Let's play, said Kikimura, giving them a smile of razor-sharp teeth. And play they did. Despite their initial hesitancy at meeting the Kikimura, Masha and Kolya played with the small girl the rest of the day. The Kikimura hid from the mother whenever she came into the house, and for the rest of that fall, the children frolicked and played indoors and outdoors. The Kikimura, however, proved ravenous at every opportunity she had to eat, with Kolya and Masha sneaking food to her during meals. Their unsuspecting mother chalked it up to Kolya's growth spurts. The Kikimura slowly grew more aggressive, pushing Kolya and Masha to more dangerous extremes and deeper and deeper into the forest. However, Masha always managed to sense the danger and evaded the situations, making sure that Kolya wasn't dragged in himself. One day, the trio played in the clearing and had brought along a basket to search for mushrooms. They searched and searched and collected quite a few. Kikimura's stomach growled and she went up to Kolya, smirking as she ever did, and extended her hand out to him. Give me the mushrooms, I'm hungry, demanded the Kikimura. No, these are for my mother to make delicious pidoshki. Go find your own, responded Kolya, standing his ground. I said, give me the mushrooms. Kikimura, no. Masha approached the Kikimura and placed herself between Kolya and the Kikimura. She furled her eyebrows, saying, Kikimura, Kolya said no. Learn your boundaries. The Kikimura smirk turned into a deep frown, her beak becoming much more prominent. Her horns seemed to grow, and her voice deepened. She became much more haggard. Her fingers turned to claws, and her girlish shape grew into something more like a great old hag. Give me the mushrooms now, yelled the Kikimura, her voice rasping in autumn air. No, yelled the siblings, who sprinted the opposite direction, back to their home. They jumped over the stumps and ran through the trees, not looking back. The Kikimura, despite her appearance, glided through the trees as if nothing were on the ground, gaining ground on the duo. She jumped into the air and landed on Kolya's small body, scratching at his face. Kolya screamed in horror for his mother. Masha grabbed the loose branch on the ground and struck the Kikimura several times, but to no avail. She cursed loudly and made a sign of the cross in the air along with the prayer, which caused the Kikimura to jump off of the boy and run into the woods. Masha grabbed her brother, face covered in bloody scratches, and together they ran back home whimpering. Masha looked around, muttering prayers and making the sign of the cross in the air around them. Off in the distance, the glowing eyes of the Kikimura faded into the shadows of the forest. Days after the disappearance of the Kikimura, Masha and Kolya were mortified. They asked their babushka to tell them about the Kikimura and how to repel them. Their wise old babushka praised her for invoking the name of Christ to shoo her away. To make sure that the Kikimura didn't catch them unawares, she said they should put a belt on top of their sheets, place a broom upside down behind the door, and say an elaborate prayer to the Lord each night before bed. If they didn't, the Kikimura would make her way into their house and cause even more mayhem than before. And listen to their grandmother they did. 
Each night, after their mother went to bed, Kolya would put the broom behind the door, ensuring it was upside down, while Masha gathered the belts and placed them on the bed. Together, they said their prayers, made the sign of the cross, and went to bed. The Kikimora attempted to enter the home, but was repelled by some unforeseen force. She screeched in rage, waking Masha and Kolya from their light sleep. They sat still, shaking in horror at the unearthly noise they had just heard. Crossing themselves, they muttered their prayers and the Kikimora retreated back into the forest, defeated. The days passed and each evening was the same. They put the broom upside down by the door, put the belts on the bed, and said their prayers each night. The Kikimora tried and failed again and again to barge her way into the home. Then, one evening, the Kikimora stopped arriving. Masha and Kolya kept putting the items out and continued with their prayers just for good measure, but weeks and weeks passed with no event in sight. The Kikimora had all but vanished and this gladdened the pair. They continued their routine out of habit, but slowly grew more and more careless. One night, Kolya placed a broom against the door while Masha placed the belts onto the bed once again. They said their prayers and fell asleep. The Kikimora returned once more for good measure and stared right through the keyhole. She saw the broom had been placed against the door, not upside down, like what she had been repelled by before, but right side up. Her beak grimaced and turned into a large snout, and she flew into the home through the keyhole. She sniffed the air and made her way to the bedroom, and inside, she saw the duo. Masha still had the belt on her bed, but poor Kolya had knocked it off his bed while kicking around in his sleep. The Kikimora made her way to her young friend, and with her long claws, she covered his mouth. With a single swipe, she grabbed the young boy, gagged him, and opened the window and ran off into the forest. With a loud cackle, the Kikimora disappeared. This caused Masha to wake up and saw the window wide open and her brother gone. She alerted her mother that Kolya had run off, and together they ran into the forest in the dark. With a torch illuminating the way, they searched and searched into the wee hours of the morning. They came upon the clearing in the woods, where they saw Kolya laying down on the ground. He was surrounded by a field of mushrooms and was blue in the face. Masha and her mother began to cry as the Kikimora cackled into the woods, never to be seen again. A warm welcome back to those of you who made it back, and a little bit of advice to take with you before you go. Not all knowledge is safe, and some things you can't unhear. The smartest of you will count your blessings and stay clear of dark corners and dangerous downloads. But those of you more daring who laugh in the face of fear will undoubtedly be back like a moth drawn to the flame for the next installment of Agoraphobia. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.